Good morning. My name is Kristen, and I have the privilege of reading the sermon text for you this morning. You've heard it already, but it can be found on the screen from Exodus 34, verses 6 to 8. You can also find it in the Pew Bible on page 69, or God really wants you to read it with me on your bulletin this morning. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. This is God's word. Well, this morning, we have a lot of hustle and bustle happening. The time, the number, and even the location of our worship services have been changed. We have three baptisms at the start of the second service. We're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together at the end of each service. This morning, we launch our Community 101 class. It's happening right now in the cafe. We have a picnic we're going to host after the second service. Last week, children's ministries and youth ministries launched with several improvements to them to make them better. Tonight... The small group Bible study that my wife and I have been a part of for the last few years begins. Our church has a lot of hustle and bustle. Why? Why? What what, what are we doing? I will tell you that we're trying to prevent a tragedy. You and I, all of us, together participate in averting a tragedy that has often occurred, is occurring, and will occur among the people of God. Before we get into all of that, would you just pray with me one more time? Dear Heavenly Father, We give you thanks that to a thousand generations you show steadfast love and mercy. I thank you for for Kyle and Luke and Luke who are being baptized this morning and the testimony that it is to me that you are still alive. As we turn our attention to your word, would you rivet our attention there on your mercy to a thousand generations. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was a younger man, not yet married, but wanting to show who I hoped would be my future father-in-law, that I was, in fact, a good man for his daughter, I bought him what I thought would be a good Father's Day present. I bought my father, one day hopefully, and now is, future father-in-law, 
a giant contraption to smoke meat. And now I don't know why I did this. I had neither seen him spend significant time barbecuing nor talk about smoking meat. I knew he liked to eat meat, but I had never heard him discuss his desire to smoke the meat himself. Perhaps, I think, in hindsight, I was projecting onto him the type of gift I would like to receive were I in his station in life. Regardless, that was June, July, August, September, so on and so forth, until late November, we're at his house for Thanksgiving, and we decide, or he decides, that this would be the first time, a great time, to use his meat smoker, and so we were going to smoke the Thanksgiving turkey for all the family to behold, and because we planned to eat an early lunch, that meant the 12 hours as you backed up throughout the night, so My future mother-in-law and father-in-law would take turns rotating, pouring water into the meat smoker to keep our turkey tender. At first light, I took my first shift, which you can just hear a little bit of a problem in that. (laughs) They get up through the diet, they take care of it, and here's the son-in-law trying to press them. At first light, that's when I begin to participate. But regardless, Bruce and I walk outside to the back patio, and it's swirling with this freezing, bitter winter Iowa wind and we had a plan for the cold though we had a plan he would lift the lid I would pour the water he would put the lid down and so we go out there I mind you again it's first light no one has seen this turkey in seven or eight hours really seen seen it and uh, we go out there Bruce lifts the lid and I go to pour and I just freeze (laughs) because our well over 20 pound turkey is now the size of a football and the color of soot. And do you know what my father-in-law yells at me? Hurry up! You're letting out all the heat! And I think to myself, someone should have done that six hours ago. Um, I didn't say that. Because it was like 375 for nine hours and not 175. And so I pour the water, he puts down the lid... We go inside, I hide in the basement, he goes upstairs, talks to his wife and says, I got to go to the store and buy lunch meat turkey uh, or something like that. Now, if I were a better preacher, if I were a better preacher, I might be able to turn that story into some dazzling metaphor about how great Jesus is and the beauty of his lordship and what it means to know him and enjoy him and walk with him and belong to his church, but I'm not that good. But I can tell you this though. That's a true story. It it happened thus. I wouldn't say, however, that this story has any deep truth to it. Maybe you can think of something to make it about Jesus. But I can say this. We, my family, my extended family, we keep that story alive. We keep that story fresh by telling it to one another. Rarely will a Thanksgiving go by. Especially when I'm with that side of the family where they don't bring up the time that I let all of the heat out of the smoker. And that's the connection I want to make. God has given his church true stories that do have deep meaning. And he means for us to keep them alive. That is, he means for us to keep them fresh in our hearts and in our lives by telling them to each other. 
in Pastor David's sermon from last week, his standalone sermon from Romans 15, he happened to read, happened to read in God's providences, these words, chapter 15, verse 5. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Whatever stories God told, whatever his authorized spokesman wrote down, he spoke and they wrote for our good that we might have hope, according to Romans 15.5. But only if we continue to tell these true stories and their deep truth. So, so what does all that have to do with hustle and bustle and preventing a tragedy? This fall, we're studying the book of Exodus. And I want to set the stage for the book of Exodus by reading a verse from the book of Judges. Now, that's probably strange because chronologically the book of Judges comes after the book of Exodus. Normally, if you're going to set the stage for the book of Exodus, you read from the book of Genesis, which comes before Exodus. But I think if you'll go with me here for a minute, you're going to see that this book that comes chronologically after the book of Exodus, now it spans some 300 years, but it begins maybe 40, 50, 60, 70 Years after the book of Exodus, this one verse from the book of Judges will help us. Judges chapter 2 verse 10 says this, And all that generation were gathered to their fathers, it's codenamed for they died, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, or the work that he had done for Israel. That's Judges 2.10. It says, that generation, that generation was a generation of Joshua. And the leaders with him, and the followers who were there with him. Joshua was the leader of God's people after Moses. Moses was the leader of God's people in the book of Exodus. And so, let me read Judges 2.10 again. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. That's the key phrase. They did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. Now, just two weeks ago, I stood in front of a group of 100 upper school students at a Christian school. Luke was one of those students there and read that verse. They asked me to come and preach a few messages. And so, so I read that verse in one of the messages and I, and I said that that verse and the surrounding verses there in Judges 2.10 explained why a tragedy had happened in Israel, was happening in Israel, and would continue to happen in Israel for many years to come. Generations were growing up by and large who didn't know the Lord. And that was a tragedy that produced a thousand problems for the people of God. So I preached my messages. They went well enough, I guess. And I went home. Then something happened. I did something. And then I did it again a few days later. And I realized that as I was preaching Judges 2.10, describing this tragedy, I had no idea how significant that tragedy was. And I already thought it was pretty significant. What happened? 
Well, on Thursday, I preached from Judges. Then on Friday morning, I went to the church office, and I printed out the book of Exodus, and I hole-punched it so I could take some notes, and I grabbed a pen, and I read through the book of Exodus, something I've done many times over, but in preparation for the fall, I'm going to do again. And then I did it all again on Monday, and I thought, man, I had had only a glimpse of the gravity, and here's why. There's a phrase in the book of Exodus that is so central to the book, so often repeated, so weighty and prominent that theologians have given this phrase a name. They call it the recognition formula. Now, don't worry. There's no algebra involved. (laughs) Thankfully, no calculus. It's a different kind of formula. The recognition formula goes like this. Then he will know. Or then they will know. Or then you will know. The recognition formula says, or God says more specifically, when I do this, or when I do that, then you'll know. I say, what? What what are we going to know? Then you will know, God says, that I am God. Everything God is doing in the book of Exodus is so that people would recognize that God is God. All the events in Exodus, from the baby in a basket floated down the Nile River, to a fiery bush that doesn't burn, to Moses and to the plagues and to the angel of death passing over the door jams coated in blood, to the parting of the Red Sea, to the closing of the Red Sea, to food on the ground that they called manna. They called it, what is it? They didn't even know that's what manna means. To the pillar of fire, to the Ten Commandments, to the building of all that would be built for proper worship of the God who is. All of this was done so that people would know God is God. And there is no other. The recognition formula occurs nearly 20 times throughout the book. Let me give you just a taste. Just a taste. This first one, actually it's kind of the setup to the first one. In chapter 5, Pharaoh has this to say to Moses. Chapter 5, verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And let Israel go. Like, who who is the Lord? Like, I know the sun is God. I know the stars are God. I know I'm God. But who is the Lord? He continues, I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh says he doesn't know the Lord. Now hear what the Lord says later. There's a lot of back and forth, which we'll have time to go through. But in chapter 9... Listen to chapter 9, verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people 
go. That they may serve me. Right? They're serving you, Pharaoh, but they're going to serve me. They're enslaved to you, they're going to be enslaved to me, but the slavery to me is a different kind of slavery altogether. It's for their good. Verse 14, For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put out my hand. I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. Verse 16, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show my power so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Paul picks up that verse in Romans 9, incidentally. In other words, not only will Pharaoh know, but the whole world will know. Chapter 6, God says to Moses that Moses should go and encourage the people with these words. Chapter 6, verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the hand or under the burdens of the Egyptians. Last one. Later in the book, as the Hebrew people fled Egypt, believe it or not, Pharaoh and his soldiers had a change of heart and they pursued the Hebrew people to kill them. Imagine how afraid you'd be. Fathers, put yourself there. You're standing there, you're a day or so journey out of Egypt. You see off on the horizon kind of an army cresting sand dunes or rugged kind of hard earth desert terrain, chariots, swords, the stomp of horses just shaking the ground under your feet. And, and you, you, don't, you don't have a single weapon. You, you, you pick up a, one rock here, you pick up a rock here, and you, 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 you tell your, your wife, your kids, you just say, behind me, or, or, or hide over there, or run away, or, or whatever you're going to say, but you, there's nothing for you to do. This is what actually happened. Exodus 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, coming down to verse 18, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And I could keep going, and we will, for the better part of the next nine months. To press on to know this Lord. Remember what Judges 2.10 says? And there arose another generation... After them, who did not know the Lord. After them, the Exodus community who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. All of Exodus, 
The fire, the hellfire and brimstone that's rained down on the enslavers of God's people. The provision of food and water for God's people. The gracious provision of God's law to his people. And the cloud of the glory of God's presence that descends down among God's people in the last couple verses of the book, chapter 40. All of that is done so that Pharaoh would know, so that the Egyptians would know, so that the Israelites would know, so that the whole world would know, indeed, so that you and I would know that God is God. What a tragedy for that not to happen. Romans fifteen five. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, in other words, like through a gospel lens that sees the hand of God moving for his people that don't deserve his grace, don't deserve his mercy, could never have earned it, through all of that, we might have hope. Which is why I said at the start of the sermon, really just a sermonette, that all of our hustle and bustle It ain't for show. In our calls to worship, in our singing, in our church baptisms, in our collecting of tithes and offerings, in our reading of scripture, in our receiving of the preached word, in our participation in the Lord's Supper, in our fellowship at a picnic, in the launching of children's youth small group ministries and a membership class. In this and more, we are preventing a tragedy. We are keeping a true story alive in our hearts and in our lives by telling it to each other. That's what baptism is. A retelling of our sin and Savior. That's what the Lord's Supper is, a retelling of our sin and Savior. I mean, hear these words from Paul. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, there's a classic passage on the Lord's Supper. Just this one line from verse 26. Paul writes of the Lord's Supper, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do what? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What was that? We tell each other the story. Keep it alive. We prevent a tragedy. Thus, your participation in the life of the local church is not optional. I was a pastor on sabbatical this summer. I went to nine churches and listened to the audio stream of this one three or four more other times. I didn't have to. I was getting paid anyway. Participation in the church is not a luxury for extra committed Christians, but a necessary commitment for all who are weak, wounded, and wayward. And know they need a living Savior. And oh, do we need a Savior? One of the things that comes out in the book of Exodus is not only do the Israelites need to be saved from the Egyptians, Israelites need to be saved from Israelites. You need to be saved from you. You need to be saved from God. By God. 
And oh, do they have a savior in the book of Exodus, which is why we've called the sermon series The Gospel According to Exodus. And oh, do we have a savior. Before the sermon, the beginning of the worship service, we read Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Let me me just read it again and I'll close. When we know the Lord, the Lord who wants to be known, delights to be known, this is who we know. The Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. If you don't know the Lord, you can know Him. You can know Him. Today, you can know Him. And if you don't know Him as you ought, which in one way or another is all of us, let's together press on to know Him. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, so many iconic scenes in this book, but I, but I think here in this moment of, of Moses seeing off in a distance a bush that's burning and it doesn't burn out, and he shows up and, and, and you speak to him, you say, the place you're standing is holy, get your shoes off. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But I do know what it means. And Lord, I thank you that though we wouldn't dare approach you on our own, you invite us to draw near in the gospel. You delight to draw near to us. Lord, as we participate here In the Lord's Supper, may you do just that. Draw near to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.